Hello and welcome to the British English Podcast with your host Charlie Baxter, here to give you another episode on British culture and help you improve your British English. This one, like all of them really, is a very, very special one. I am interviewing a member of the band called Fika, who already have around 300,000 listeners on Spotify each month. Interestingly, I see over 10,000 a month are coming from Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro. That's right. That's how we say it in English, Rio de Janeiro. And then Fika get a bunch more listens each month in LA, London and Sydney. So they're being listened to all over the world. And I've got a member of them with me today. Um, to describe Fika's vibe, uh, I'd say they are in the realms of neo-soul, hip-hop and contemporary R&B. I just read that on their website profile. I wouldn't have been able to come up with that. Neo-soul is new soul. Neo, taken from Greek. Um, yeah, I, I tend to think of neo-Nazis when I hear the word neo. Uh, but don't worry, this member of the band isn't a neo-Nazi, or at least wasn't when I went to school with him. That's right, we go way back. This member of the band, Fika, is called Al Reeves, and he has kindly come on the show for us to talk about British music in general and his journey as a musician and music producer. Um, we touch on the, the typical instruments we learn at school, why uh, us Brits don't have any rhythm on the dance floor and why British bands often end up singing in an American accent. So please welcome a best friend of mine that I met in secondary school, Al Reeves. Hello, Al. How are you? Hello, Charlie. I'm good. Thank you, mate. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. So you're actually in London. I'm I'm faking it. I'm I'm the host of the British English podcast, but I'm in Sydney, Australia. You're the real deal. Where are you right I know, now? You're, you're, you're faking it. Yeah. So I'm in South London. Um, so I'm in a, a little city called Croydon, which is kind of just, yeah, South, South London. And but I've lived in South London for the last kind of five or six years. Yeah, it's a great place to live. <laughs> and you lived south of London, and now you live in South London, right? That's correct. Yeah. So I used to live in a county called Surrey, next to you. We used to live next to each, very close to each other, um, which is about an hour's drive south of of kind of London. And then where I'm based now in Croydon, it's only about oh, well, it's pretty much in London. It's in like just the outskirts. So. Yeah. Only about 20 minutes out yeah. from London. Yeah, and you went to university in Southampton, I think. That's right, yeah, Southampton Uni on the south coast. So you've never lived north of the Thames? <laughs> no, no, never. Real, real southerner. I am, yeah, I've stayed in the same place. You've been all over the place. That's making me feel a bit boring now, actually. No, yeah, I need to, no, but, no. I have, but I have plans, I have plans to live elsewhere. I have plans to live in LA. Oh, oh, interesting. Maybe this is a... A musician's no, no. This this would be a an actor's dream. Is this a musician's dream to live in LA? I think I think a lot of musicians do it. I think maybe more now. Well, it's always been a cool place, hasn't it? But there's a lot of artists and musicians in the kind of independent music world who I think have mu who've moved there in recent years, and it just looks fun to be to be there. So 
I'd love to uh, maybe maybe like six months or something or a year to live there would be great. I I would have thought somewhere like Berlin would be more attractive. Why is LA on the cards for musicians in your area? Yeah, I guess actually if I'm thinking about it, it's probably more a lot of artists that I like who are maybe up and coming or independent artists are based in LA. I think that's probably more more lucky. So if I live there for a while, I could work and collaborate with a lot of other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I suppose the sunshine wouldn't wouldn't hurt. It'd be just lovely. Well, I see all these people that I follow just on their stories on Instagram every day and it just looks glorious. While I hope you are enjoying this episode, I would like to let you know that the doors have officially closed to the British English Podcast Academy. They shut on September 30th, 2021, meaning no one can sign up to the Academy until the doors reopen, which won't be for a while. So for those who did join... Well done for acting quickly. For those who didn't manage to enrol in time, then you need to up your game. Be quicker next time. Come on. For now, though, head over to the website and join the waiting list to be notified when the Academy reopens. To remind you, the Academy gives you access to the full length of every episode with manually edited transcripts and extended glossaries. And then you also get vocabulary review videos additional audios and pronunciation practice exercises along with quizzes, flashcards, writing assignments and more in the season-based episodes, basically giving you a whole world of learning resources around every episode. And then once you have internalized the content, you get to practice it in the weekly speaking classes that are included in the Academy. And honestly, I'm amazed at how quickly members of the Academy are improving. I think back to their first calls and compared to now, they have come on so far and sound so, so natural in their delivery of incredibly colloquial language. So I'm really proud of what they have achieved and would love to see you do the same the next time the doors open. But yeah, Sadly, the doors have closed for new signups to the Academy, but head over to the website, thebritishenglishpodcast.com, click on the Academy tab, and you can join the waiting list and you'll be the first to know when we reopen. And when we do, I recommend you sign up quickly before the doors close again. All right, find the link in the show notes, but enjoy the rest of this episode. Every day of the year. (laughs) Yeah, but it's 28 degrees, you said, in London right now. That's true. Yeah, it's lovely here. Yeah. LA's come to London. 28 degrees. It's beautiful. There you go. LA in London. Right. Uh, so why... LA London. <laughs> London. London. <laughs> London would have been better, yeah. Yeah. London. Because we do say that, don't we? London, baby. Well, that sounds like someone else's impression of, of us saying London. Come to London. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So um, can you tell everyone your credentials, why I've bothered you and why I think you would be good to talk about British music? I guess I'm kind of a UK, like an icon in the UK. <laughs> I'm only messing. Um, so, well, I guess I've been in, involved in music for a while. I, um, I've been a, a guitarist, like a session guitarist playing for other people, recording for other people. I've run my own guitar teaching business for years now um, and I run my own artist project so I've got a band that I'm in called Fika with my friend Sam and we've been writing and releasing producing music for the last couple of years. Wonderful yeah very nice and I was saying to Al recently that it's rare that you actually enjoy 
a friend's artistic creations like you might have a friend that is an artist of some description but you probably don't consume their art you just say oh yeah you're very talented well done but I'm not going to look at that or listen to that but I listen to Fika most weeks I really really enjoy it so it's it's a pleasure I to appreciate talk that, mate. and get, in, get into it all so uh, but we're not going to talk about Fika straight away I thought it'd be quite fun to talk about the stereotypical instruments British people pick up at a young age and and talk about why we choose these instruments what would you think is the the go-to instrument at the beginning so I guess yeah rewinding back to when we were young when we were in primary school I think that probably the first introduction to playing any sort of instrument is like a recorder or it was for us yeah yeah Uh, amusing amusing instrument Uh, I think I might need you to describe a recorder and use sound effects at the same time. Not the same (laughs) time, but... A recorder. So a recorder is like a wind instrument, which I don't really know much about them, to be honest. I feel like I shouldn't... Well, I don't get excited at the prospect of thinking about recorders, but I think the ones we used to play were probably made of plastic, and they've got holes in. It's like a a clarinet. You blow into it, and then you put your finger over the holes, and it creates different pitches, and you can learn songs like... Three Blind Mice and Silly Little Nursery Rhymes. So that was probably the beginning, the first things we got introduced to. Although I think now the equivalent, because I, I, so I used to teach music in some schools a few years back. And I think the equivalent now is ukulele, which is a bit more exciting. So little kids who are like five or six are starting on ukulele now. Because I, I, I taught some for a while. Yeah, way better version. A and a ukulele is... A, a, a ukulele is, uh, yeah, I guess the easiest way to think of it is like it's a, a really mini guitar with only four strings on. And it's kind of got its, it's got its like stereotypical associations with like Hawaii and uh, and like, yeah, sunshine in Hawaii, someone playing a little ukulele. I, I can see it now. I can see you in Hawaii now with your kids that you're teaching them. You throw the recorder away. Yeah, get rid of that. There's a there's a really nice version of a song that's come to mind, but or, uh, it's a song called "Somewhere Over the Rainbow" or "Over the Rainbow," sorry, which your listeners may be familiar with. Uh, and it's by this guy who plays um, he plays ukulele on it. Uh, he's, yeah, his name's called Israel. Oh, actually, this is going to be a tough one to pronounce. His name is Israel Kamakawaolele. <laughs> that's the best i can do very good but it's this guy from hawaii who does a cover with a ukulele it's really beautiful if you want to hear what a ukulele sounds like check that out yeah yeah i uh do you think we can we can legally put it in this right now yeah i guess yeah. so why not in yeah okay can you play it for me so i can hear it so i can react to it with absolute pleasure beautiful oh, oh yeah just as the voice comes in it is nice <laughs> yeah that was good okay so the recorder is no longer the the go-to instrument but uh the ukulele is is quite common now uh what about the piano yeah yeah well i think loads of the uh, traditional instruments that people have been learning for years as far as learning like classical 
music as opposed to popular styles of music like rock and blues and funk and all that kind of stuff. They're still taught, so people still learn piano, guitar, drums, singing, still taught in schools. Yeah, all, all that stuff still goes. But I think in recent years, so again, rewinding back to when I used to teach in some schools, there's definitely been a lot of updates in terms of just teaching things which kids are going to be more excited about. So there's like companies now which will go in and, t- and like bring like the band experience to school kids, like get one kid on keyboard, one kid on drums, one on bass, one guitar, one singing, and they learn like a simple song by like Bruno Mars or someone famous, and they try and get it together for like an end of term performance. So that kind of stuff is, is much more common now, which is promising. Yeah, yeah, nice. And we've got a lot of content to get through or questions that I have in mind. So maybe uh, skim over this. But do you have an idea of the average percentage of students that will try a, a an instrument in a classroom? Like, is everyone trying an instrument now? And no, I'd, I'd still say I'd still say it's the minority. But I think that's because it's not presented in an exciting enough way. I think the reason why most people, well, yeah, we could talk about this for hours. We'll probably keep this brief. But I think the reason why most kids don't get excited about it is because they're not inspired in the first place because there's not much funding that goes into arts for, in schools and that kind of thing. Okay, not much funding going into the, the arts. Yeah, yeah, okay. But it's looking optimistic, like we just said. Things are looking better, so. it's Yeah, everything's positive. There we go. We're living in a wonderful, wonderful world. This episode comes with a free worksheet over on the website, thebritishenglishpodcast.com. So grab that and you can listen along whilst using it. And three blind mice. Three blind mice. What's that? Three blind mice. I don't know what the origins of that song are. It must be some old English folk song i have no idea three blind mice three blind mice other countries must learn that as well i don't know there's many things that i assumed are uh, like globally accepted but i've i've been surprised that no one knows what i'm talking about yeah maybe it's just british well the other one that comes to mind is london bridge is falling down that's another old classic yeah maybe some rivals or some countries that we've reigned over far too menacingly might might sing that absolutely (laughs) horrible memories of the british empire let it let it burn (laughs) uh three blind mice is an english language nursery rhyme and musical round so yeah it might just be in in english cultures okay so yeah very strange for me why that became so popular but there it is ukulele yeah recorders okay well, I actually want to know when you started to get interested in, in music and particularly instruments. Hmm. So I didn't actually start learning. So I started learning on, on guitar as my first instrument, but I didn't start learning until fairly late for a lot of musicians. I think I started at about 15 or 16 because I'd always been into music. My parents raised me on good music and stuff. But I think my mate Rob, you know, Rob, Rob James, friend of ours from school, he played guitar, and my brother's friend Simon Bailey played guitar. Shout out to Simon Bailey. And uh, I think those two guys kind of influenced me, and I got inspired by them. So that was kind of the beginning, I think. Also, it was around the same sort of time that School of Rock, that Jack Black film, came out. Ah. 
And I think it okay. just got me... An Amer- American film, but very popular in the UK, yeah. or at least amongst our friends, yeah. Great film. I say it was, it was around that kind of time, 15, 16, yeah. I, I remember that. You said an interesting thing there, though, that you were raised on good music. I don't think I was. I don't think my parents really understood music. They probably preferred silence rather than music. <laughs> but what is good music in your eyes and perhaps your parents' eyes as well? Yeah, I mean, I guess all music is subjective or art is subjective. But so, yeah, when I grew up, my parents were into and were always playing Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Prince, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, funk acts like Sly and the Family Stone, Chic, all sorts of good stuff. Yeah, that's just a... And this is a a mixture of American and English music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anywhere else? don't think so. I think mainly, yeah, mainly most of the stuff they, they loved was from, from England and America. Um, and then as I, and, and, and as I got into that stuff, I then listened to more and branched out and started learning about other, other bits. So I'm uh, pleased that my parents raised me on that stuff. Go with that. So where, where, where did you go to after enjoying American and English music? To be fair, I say, I say I, I broadened my horizons, not necessarily... Well, actually, no, it's kind of true. I mean, I'm not like an expert on music from different parts of the world. I think 95% of the stuff I've been influenced by and I'm into and, I'm, and I make is from British and American influenced music. But just, be, I guess, being open and your ear, or I guess musicians, when they refer to their ear, they mean the way that they hear music or the sort of things that they're into when they're listening to music. So your ear sort of matures the more you develop as a musician so you start being interested in different sounds and different genres of music and different things that you might otherwise not have been into previously. Or you might have listened to it when you were younger. For, so for example, I didn't like jazz at all when I was younger. I just thought it sounded like chaos. I, I was like, what on earth is going on here? But then when I studied music and I got a bit more into it and I was surrounded by other people who were into different genres, yeah, your, your mind is opened up and you end up hearing exactly the same music but interpreting it differently and now liking it and and yeah it's quite an interesting process for the brain definitely definitely i've always liked jazz and i was very upset to hear a podcaster that i respect greatly uh dissing a type of jazz i think it was smooth jazz smooth jazz known in the music industry as like not very skillful okay so i don't think it it's necessarily to a skillful i think the the stereotype about smooth jazz is that it's like that it's not real i'm kind of using inverted commas here not real jazz because it's kind of easy listening and it, and sometimes it borders into uh like funk and poppier solely music so a lot of like jazz purists people who only play and listen to jazz exclusively can have a tendency to be a bit snobby and think that jazz is, or classical music and jazz are the real, proper intellectual musical art forms, and everything else, like pop and everything else, is, is like a lesser version. So I think in a similar way, that's a broad stereotype, by the way, not everyone thinks that, but that's, that, that still kind of persists today. And so for smooth jazz, it's the same thing. Often smooth jazz is the sort of thing you might hear in an elevator, or like having a drink in a bar, and it's just kind of in the background with some little saxophones and trumpets going away in the background. You're not really paying attention. It's just nonsense in the background. Do you know what I mean? 
Uh, yeah, it's a stereotype that's so true, even to this day. But I love a bit of lift music. Oh, it's relaxing. That's why, that's why they have it on the, on the phone call whilst you're waiting and in the lift. Yeah, yeah. Although that's often Actually, maybe I'm really still doing badly. A... Like, the volume is really bad normally on those phone calls. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Way too loud. Terrible audio. I'm doing a bit of a disservice, though, because there are some amazing musicians and stuff who play smooth jazz, and they'd probably not be happy with what I've just well, said. Well, I'm, I'm trying to fight their corner because I was upset that they were, this person was dissing it. I, I like it. But he was saying that there anyone are two, There are two artists that come to mind. Boring. And I was like, oh, I'm boring, am I? Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> judging me now. There are two artists that come to mind. I, I don't know if these guys are strictly smooth jazz, but one is a, a guitarist called Lee Rittenor, and the other is a multi-instrumentalist called Brian Colbertson. Both have really cool music, and I think they're kind of loosely in the smooth jazz category. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's go for a little break now, and we'll come back to some questions about whether British people can dance and things like that. I'm just going to interrupt this episode briefly to tell you about the free ebook and audiobook that was written and narrated by Harry and myself, giving you everything you need to know about using idiomatic expressions in the IELTS speaking exam. This audiobook runs for 45 minutes and we've had an overwhelming amount of emails thanking us for this amazing free gift, which you can find in the show notes of this episode or head over to the britishenglishpodcast.com and then you can scroll down the homepage until you see the free resources and that is where you'll be able to get your hands on 45 minutes of incredibly valuable teaching resources and we made this as we've created an online IELTS speaking course that has actually been on the back burner for a while now meaning uh, not the main focus for us or lower on the list of priorities. But I've decided to take it in a new direction with fortnightly IELTS workshops. And I will also be updating the content in the course in the coming weeks. So if you wanted to get yourself an affordable IELTS preparation course, then do it now before the price increase along with the update. Again, you can find this in the show notes or over at the British English Podcast. Dot com. Okay, we're back. And uh, yeah, Al, let's get into it. What do you think? Do Brits have rhythm? Can we dance? Some of us can. I'm not sure if I can. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really class myself as a great dancer. I'm into music. I've got, I've got good rhythm, but I don't feel that confident as a dancer. I think that it's probably because the looser stereotype of British people is that we're a bit, we're a bit kind of boring and sensible and polite and stiff upper lip and don't express your emotions too much and oh no don't dance just stay a bit more sensible you know what I mean that that the other stereotypes of British people are we're, we're never the crazy outlandish ones we're the Hugh Grant on like films the polite yeah introverted yeah person. you can't imagine yeah. Hugh Grant breaking out into dance yeah I, I see your point although if we go like really posh I feel like they know what they're doing with the ballroom dancing and all of those formal dances. Whereas we That's don't true. really know what to do. When we get on a dance floor, we just flail about to really like energetic move it, music or we just don't dance at all. We don't move. I, I, I know what you mean, actually. It's quite funny. Outside of, outside of yeah, dances that people actually learn, 
like if you're an actual proper dancer, your average your average Joe doesn't really know how to dance, do they? I reckon as well, it's because if you think about, I always think this if, whenever I've been abroad to, to different countries and different cultures, so many other countries have like music and dance and and singing and that kind of thing as kind of part of their daily lives rather than rather than thinking we should go and dance or we must make music today. It's kind of just part of life. People like in Spain with flamenco culture and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's so ingrained in culture that you have dinner with your family at the table, you dance, you have sing, and it's, it's a communal thing. It's part of the, the, the family time together. But I don't, we don't really have that here so much. And my, actually, my barber, the guy who cuts my hair at the end of my road, he is from Iran and he plays... Uh, I can't remember the name of the drum that he plays, but he was telling me about his family and they all play music together. And exactly what I just said, he said like every family plays some sort of instrument and they play music together most days as part of the day. It's just like a part of the day. And, and so I think in a lot of other countries, that stuff, you know, makes its way into their everyday day life anyway. Whereas for us, yeah, we don't yeah, have no, that. No, we don't. Harry, actually, my YouTube partner who's been on this podcast many times, um, he comes from a, a family of, of musicians. His dad's a violinist and a bit of a pianist, I think. And they've got a music room, which is quite rare, I think, for a normal sized house. They've got a piano and like a, you know, a music room. And um, they get gather around the piano and have a sing song. And like he does the bongos sometimes as well. And they gig together. It's really random. So that is very rare for us, isn't it? Like we don't, we don't know of that really. No, no. Although it's making me think that that is, I think quite a lot of people. Well, depending if you can afford a piano because they're not cheap, have pianos in their houses or, or or a keyboard. That's quite often something you see. Or people who, if they're trying to teach their kids or their kids are learning, they'll have a piano in the living room. But would they have the confidence to gather around the piano and you know? Sing until their hearts. Content. Yeah, not yeah, not ne- not necessarily. Yeah, not unless not unless one person happens to be a proficient musician or a singer, or they do that for their job or something. Yeah, it's not it's not very common. Yeah, yeah. it's a shame. It is a shame. Yeah. And I think you you hit the nail on the head with the reason why we don't have rhythm or we don't necessarily know how to dance. Because going back to when I went to Uganda, I remember uh, the kids there; they were just so obsessed with dancing. Like even just mm. like the, the radio on the street that they would they would know how to dance really, really well at like an age of four yeah. or five. And great yeah, rhythm. Yeah. 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 And then I remember as well, just just one more thing which just came to my mind. When I was at university and I was writing my dissertation, I was writing it on the topic of like the origins of music, you know, why is music seemingly such a universal behaviour trait and interest for humans? And exactly on this topic, I remember reading and finding out that in loads of cultures around the world, like in Africa and Asia, or indigenous kind of tribal cultures, there actually isn't, they don't actually have a word in their language for music. I, I, I'm not, I, I can't give you any specific examples. I just remember reading this. I can't remember whereabouts, but lots of cultures don't actually have a word for music because it's not just one separate entity, which you go and do. It's just it's within the day. It's, other, it's within the activities that you do in a family, which is interesting. Very, very interesting. So it's, it's like labelling life as a noun. I mean, you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I guess, yeah, 
trying to think of an analogy. It's like if we say socialising, that encompasses meeting people, yeah, going for yeah. drinks or doing something social together. I guess it might be the yeah. same. Yeah, yeah, interesting. yeah it is. Okay. What instrument would give you the most street cred nowadays in the UK? And can you explain street cred? Street cred is... I'm trying to think of words which don't use other phrases. Street cred is being... It's just being cool, really, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's having like having a hobby or doing something cool for your job or your life or whatever it is that just gives you respect for being cool, yeah. pretty much, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what would you say that is? Is it the guitar still? Yeah, I don't know. So that's, so that's an interesting question because that's changed a lot. There's, there's less bands, where you, when I, like traditional bands in the sense of a singer, a guitarist, a bass player, a drummer, a keyboard player. There's less bands in the mainstream pop music world i.e the music that we hear on like the main radio stations around the world there's less of them now and so as a result there are less people buying guitars and people learning guitars or learning how to play guitar or things that would traditionally be in like a band setting although having said that apparently taylor swift changed this and when taylor swift became famous there were more acoustic guitar sales especially among women and girls than there have ever been before which is which was quite interesting wow what, surely Ed Sheeran has helped that as well. I think the same thing happened with Ed Sheeran. So maybe the Taylor Swift thing was more specifically for girls and for women. And she had her own like signature pink guitar. But yeah, so aside from that, maybe production, music production is, is kind of the new, the new thing which people are getting on board with from a young age, basically. Because you, you can create and produce your own music from your own laptop, from your own home now. And you can make unbelievable music without having to use anything else which is kind of crazy. And loads of people yeah, do that now. And, and that's, what, what is that instrument? I mean, the digital pads, what are they called? Um, so there's, yeah, I know what you mean. You can, you, can get, you can get equipment which, yeah, you can kind of hit, hit buttons and pads. You can, you can pre-program sounds or notes or whatever you want, any kind of sound, and you can program it to certain pads which you can then hit and then it recreates that sound. So you can use that to create drum beats or... We could record our voice and then you could press the button and you'd hear the voice back. You can kind of program it to whatever you want. You could hear the voice back. You could hear the voice back. Yeah, you could hear, listen back to yourself. You could program this whole podcast. So I reckon, so that's that loads of younger people now are doing that, are amazing at producing when they're super young. When we were the same age, people were just like learning how to play an instrument and didn't have a clue how to produce. So that's, that's been a big shift, I think. That gives yeah, you street yeah, cred. If you're yeah, a good producer and you're like, at 17, yeah. street cred. Good street cred. Yeah, yeah, agree. Overly impressed with that 17-year-old. I mean, well done, but I'm not going to not gonna go on a date with you because you've wooed me with that. No, no, but uh, well done, yes. Oh, yeah, I like this question. Okay, do you think you're um, producing music, you're an acoustic and electric guitarist uh your partner in the band fika is the sing predominantly is the singer right and and he produce he produce he's he's the main producer for the duo he's the main producer i wouldn't say i've picked up on it but it's definitely true in other areas in other bands do you think he changes his accent when he's singing and is it more americanized yeah a lot of people do that don't they quite naturally I don't know. It's a funny one because lots of lots of singers 
irrespective of where they're from, when they sing in English, yeah, they, they end up sounding English or American. It's, it's probably just because 95% of popular music that we've all heard throughout our entire lives has been from England or America. So you probably can't help but have that sound filter into your head when you end up singing. I don't think, I think some people might overdo it and it sounds a bit weird, but for most people, I think it, they don't realise it. It just kind of comes without them intending. I don't know. It's odd. I thought it might be because it sounds easier. Like there's, I would say, am I right in saying Oasis, they stuck to their guns and spoke like a British mm. singer? Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you are right. And and certain British artists speak with quite a specific British accent. And I don't think it sounds too melodic. I don't think it's... It's not a very, like, flowing no, sound. No, I know what you mean. But I'm trying to, but I'm trying to think in my head well, when you're asking me this, I wonder why that is. Is there, is there something about yeah. pronouncing things when sung in, in a more American accent that softens the delivery of the words? I don't know. It sounds a bit more. I think it's the I think it's the elongation of certain vowel sounds. Like, for example, the most popular word I assume in lyrics is "baby," yeah. and and theirs would be ba- "baby," uh-huh. "baby." Yeah, <laughs> terrible, but more of like a e- ba- "baby," "baby." Uh, it's yeah, "av" yeah. uh, rather than "av." To sing, you need to exaggerate yeah. the vowels, right? Yeah, I guess you're exagger. Yeah, you're exaggerating the pronunciation of everything you're saying, especially the vowels, because the consonants is is more of a mouth movement, isn't it? And then the the vocals come from the oh, like the a o a e i o u kind of yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. We're dissecting the vocal anatomy of singing, and Americans tend to do it for a longer yeah. period. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. In their normal speech. Yeah, it's an odd one. But then often, uh, even uh, like we've got a friend called Bambi who's Irish. And whenever they sing, uh, well, actually, don't you don't hear it necessarily. But yeah, o- often the, ac- the, the original accent from wherever they're from gets lost almost entirely. And it could be an American or an English singer. Yeah, interesting. There'll probably be there'll probably be some like vocal coaches or or, or people who know exactly why. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there's plenty. Yeah, that could answer this question <laughs> succinctly. Uh, the nuts. <laughs> <of us. laughs> yeah, <laughs> interesting though. But yeah, okay. So uh, we're gonna go on to uh, the music that's influenced you particularly uh, in the moment. What you think is really popular right now what you're focused on in in terms of your own production your own journey as a musician and well i could say the other questions but Mm. a lot more basically but that is part one over and done with so uh we're going to go on to part two now so if you are here just for part one then clap your hands put them together and say well done al reeve for coming on the show and thank you very much um, Al Reeves is part of Fika, the band Fika, F-I-K-A. You can find Fika on Spotify. They're doing bloody well. How many listens per month, roughly? At the- we're on per month. We got well, we've got just under three hundred thousand monthly listeners at the moment. Nice. If you want to be an extra one of those three hundred thousand to to make it four hundred thousand, 
head over to Spotify and type in F-I-K-A. Uh, how, how would you describe your music? Uh, our music is like uh, R&B is the broadest stroke of the brush to describe us. R&B, soul, jazzy influenced music. But it's still accessible, guys. It's not too out there. <laughs> you... Good language there. It's accessible. Mm. It's not too out there. It's not mm. too strange. It's not too... Yeah, yeah. Mm. We like to draw influences from yeah. stuff which is, but still keep it accessible for people. Really nice. Yeah. So check out Fika. Thank you very much, Al. But we will continue the conversation in part two. If you're here for part one, thank you and see you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. That's all from me this week. I hope you have a good seven days ahead of you. My name is Charlie Baxter and I will see you next time on the British English Podcast. Podcast.